Welcome to Corporately. I'm Glenn. And I'm Danny. Today, we're discussing a subject that frustrates employees all over America. I believe millions of people in every kind of organization are directly impacted by this every year. I'm speaking about the curious ability for some among us to seemingly effortlessly navigate through the ranks of upper management, gaining position, authority, and compensation without ever demonstrating value or even competence. They don't work hard, they don't add value, and they couldn't make a good decision even if they could see into the future. If you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what this is about, and you've got a VP or director or senior manager in your title, please stop listening. While I've learned to respect your lazy, self-serving approach to work, I think I speak for everyone when I say we hate that it works for you. Just know that some of us are on to you. For the rest of you, it's time you learn to put a name to this phenomenon. My colleague has labeled it the veneer manager. It perfectly captures what some would probably call a hack, but it's a hack that has many victims. Danny, how did you come up with the term veneer manager? And can you describe why it so completely captures this leadership phenomenon? I would be happy to try. Over the years, I've worked for a number of different companies, different sizes of companies. I've worked for both state government and federal government. I've spent time in the military. And in the course of that adventure, which is multiple decades, I have discovered that there are those people who somehow managed to, as we like to put it, ride the corporate escalator, who don't seem to be good choices for that because they lack skill. And that skill can be in the form of technical skill to support the work that you care about. It can be in the form of managerial skill, which is a little easier issue to discern. But a number of years ago, I started in the IT game and I made friends with the guy who sat in the cube next to me. And we ended up crossing paths repeatedly over the course of our careers and actually ended up spending probably a total of about 10 years working together. We remain friends to this day, and we've written a few books together, one of which was a summation of the very topic that we're trying to discuss today. When we were trying to explain some of the crazy things that we saw happen in the organizations that we worked with, over time, we started calling each other and saying, hey, Tom, come to my office. I got to tell you this. And I would spout off the latest inane story of something that I had experienced. We did this for years. And the end result was we realized we had enough information to combine all these thoughts into a book. What we did is we adopted the title Green Water Strategy, green water being the shallow water next to the beach. And we did that to differentiate from the two marketing strategies of blue water and red water, both having to do with an empty blue ocean where you're starting a business that has no competition, as opposed to the red ocean where you're going into a business with lots of competition. So we did a lot of this tongue in cheek, or so we thought. The result of this experiment was that we seem to have hit on a definition of one of the major problems in corporate America and in government. And that is that people are in these high level positions and they should not be. So we began studying, how does this happen? Why does this happen? And what do you, as a hapless employee, do to survive? That's the reason that we came up with this idea of a very thin veneer of skill. And that thin veneer very typically consists of being a master at language. If you know all the buzzwords and you can spout them off in coherent sentence, somehow you impart this sense of competency. The veneer manager was the name that we gave to these people who give the appearance 
of competency and success and skill, but there's nothing to back it up because it's all very shallow. Exactly. So no depth, no true understanding, no strategy, just that thin veneer of apparent competence. I think the strategy may be, I'm going to climb to the top, even though I don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. But as you said, it's not a it's not a ladder for them. It's an escalator. While the rest of us are on that corporate <laughs> ladder, struggling for every single rung, pushing ourselves left and right and inching up, they've somehow just slide up the escalator with zero effort. Yeah, I, I do want to make one point in your intro. You mentioned your perception is that the most apparent evidence of this type of manager is in those middle and upper management positions. But I will tell you this, I have seen it at every level. So I had people reporting to me, and then I had this endless collection of folks that I had to report up to. But I've seen this in individual contributors. I've seen this in line managers, as well as middle. And it's everywhere. The issue, though, is when it gets into the middle and upper managers because that's when it starts impacting lots of folks and you start to feel your career going sideways or being stagnated or being stepped over by these folks that, as you mentioned, are master of language, but master of no actual skills. Well said. I'm glad we have a name for it now. It actually makes it kind of fun to be able to point to these people and label them. And I think it takes the sting out of the impact they tend to have on all of our careers. You can kind of laugh at the situation instead of stewing and being angry. I know I've suffered at the hands of veneer managers for a long time, and I assumed I was just unlucky, but it wasn't bad luck. It's just that large organizations can't help but breed these oddities. And as you and I have discussed in the past, it seems like it's more common in larger organizations. And I think there's a reason for that, but it exists everywhere. In the course of my career, I have worked for companies as small as 100 people and companies as large as 300,000. And I, I've seen it in all of these organizations. I've seen it in government agencies. I've seen it in privately held companies and publicly held companies. I've seen it in all sorts of businesses. It's very common. It seems to be easier to achieve your goal to become a veneer manager the larger the organization. For a couple of reasons. One, you've got more opportunities. Sometimes that's to move up. Sometimes it's to move out before you get discovered. In a smaller organization, there tends to be a little bit more difficulty in doing that. The experience I've seen in smaller companies is people come and then they go. And as they exit the door, they make sure that they leave evidence that it's not their fault, it's your fault. And then you'll spend the next six months trying to prevent the world from believing that it was your fault. Big company, they simply transfer to a different department division. They're gone and the flames are left behind them for others. I think it makes sense to start talking about some of the clues you might see. My first example of a clue in identifying a veneer manager is someone who doesn't read. It's not that they can't read, although that might be true in some cases, but it's more that they put zero effort in trying to follow any kind of thread in email from coworkers or anyone below them. and would never bother retaining anything you said in the last conversation. You're starting from ground zero every time, and you're constantly finding yourself repeating and re-justifying things that you thought were already understood and decided. Have you experienced that? I have. I think that there are kind of multiple ways to look at this based on what you said, and that is that, in my opinion, the key to being a successful veneer manager is you're always one step ahead of the crowd. You're always able to say, that's already been decided, or yes, we knew about that. This is the next thing that's going to happen. Always deflect never dealing, always deflecting, never dealing. So one of the key ways that you survive in this environment is 
you've got to stay ahead of the competition. In other words, you've got to be one step ahead of the people that actually know what's going on. And it's easier to do than you might think. And that's by always looking at the next objective, the next item on the list. That's where you focus your energy. The things that are currently being worked on, the things that are probably currently momentously important, you simply ignore because you, unlike your slacker colleagues, are always thinking, you're always looking at step. So there's a lot of yes, but conversation. There are also keys in the language that people use that you'll pick up if you start paying attention because of that very fact. They're always trying to avoid having those hard conversations, talking about what you know and they don't know. They're always talking about the next thing of which you kind of know nothing because you're not there yet. Problem is, typically, you're reporting in some way or another to these people. So it's always a bit of a challenge if you're trying to confront them. It's a difficult situation, but fairly easy to spot. And I think we all have experiences uh, with people who don't bother to read the emails because, one, I don't think they understand half of what's in the emails because they've never spent the time to get competent they're doing. And let's talk about that for just a second. Much of the veneer manager's success depends on the image of, fill in the noun that you wish there, the image of skill the image of understanding, the image of competence, the image of success. We've talked a lot recently about project management failures there. A good veneer manager simply declares success and moves ahead. So they will always be one step ahead of where you are. Typically, you're working on an actual real thing, trying to accomplish actual real things, trying to meet objectives and timeline. The veneer manager is always looking around the corner, headed around the corner, out of sight, to stay ahead of those difficult questions where you would ask, explain this, explain to me why we're doing this, explain to me why we're making decisions. So it's a lot about deflecting, deferring about language as much as any. Yeah, my direct experience with that aspect of veneer management was I was in a role supporting a vice president in marketing to help him develop strategies and do analysis to support what to do next. And it was a constant battle to try and figure out what this person wanted, how we wanted to present strategies and analyses to support future work. But it was exactly what you mentioned. There was no depth, no discussion, no understanding. Any facts were sort of already old news in his head. Any analysis we sent him, he didn't look at. Uh, sometimes it would become ridiculous sitting in meetings, him talking about things that were in his inbox for a month that he just never bothered to look at. He was actually eventually promoted to an SVP from VP. I had written him off. I thought he for sure this guy is going to be gone within a few months, but nope. He was somehow very good at dealing with upper management, was promoted to SVP, and it took a couple more years before he was finally found out and finally laid off, but of course, not before making tons of money in that interim period. Well, we're all familiar with the, I, I think this probably came from the 70s, the Peter principle, <laughs> where you're promoted, ultimately you're promoted to your level of incompetence. It, it has to do with a few things, one of which is the difficulty of terminating people. I know we've all heard this phrase, but it's essentially defining the same thing, and that is you've got a problem with an incompetent person. The easiest way to get rid of them is to promote them. That lends itself to supporting our concept of veneer management. If you're really bad at your job and you're causing problems, you may just get moved to a different division and up to step just to get out of the way. <laughs> so it provides a rather immediate solution to the immediate problem, but all it really does is put that problem in someone else's lap. That's one way this works. The better way it works is that for people to understand that 
that mechanism can be employed as a tactic. I want to advance my career above all else, and I don't want to take the time to learn, and I don't care about communicating with people or understanding people or being accountable. I simply put myself in the position where my superiors are so fed up with me that they promote me just to get me off the path. We know this happens, but if you learn to do this intentionally, you have now become a master veneer manager. You're able to promote yourself through, believe it or not, incompetence. Ultimately, we'd like to think that it'll catch up with you. But then I look at some of the people that are in charge of companies, and I look at the government, and I see the people that have advanced the furthest in government, and they seem like perfect examples of this. They've put themselves in these tremendous positions of authority, and you keep asking yourself, why? Because they understand this. If you can talk the talk, you don't have to walk the walk. If you sound like you know what you're doing, if you declare victory at the opportune moments, and you make sure that everybody knows this was a great success, and this is exactly what we intended to have happen, and by the way, this is what we're doing next. So it's deny, defer, deflect. Those are the three skills you have to have. My experience when I was a line manager was that I actually had to know the technical details of what the people that reported to me did. I had to understand their work, meaning I had to learn to do that work before I could get in that position. What we're talking about is a level beyond that. You don't have to know anything about what the people are doing. You just have to be really good at the language, and you have to learn to manage uphill. That's the only thing you care about. You don't really care about what's happening. You care about the perception of what's happening. For that reason, it sounds like a bit of an addendum to the Peter principle. You're not saying they get promoted to the level of incompetence. They get promoted to the level of incompetence and then two or three levels above that, yeah. thanks to these veneer management techniques. To your point, you could join them. If you can stomach it, it would create a lot of free time and releases you from a lot of hard work. It's one of those hacks that can be life-changing, but just know that it does negatively impact the lives of people around you. And the worst case scenario, you leave behind a smoking husk of a company where people lose their jobs. Well, I think I might take issue with calling it a hack because honestly, it's a skill. It's a, <laughs> a specific skill set that some people are able to exploit and others have no hope of. And it may be based on morality as much as anything else. Like I'm going to do the right thing, even though it may not advance me as quickly or as far as I would like. If you lack that gene... If you don't care about anything except your own personal success, you're right. This is a path that many will follow with utter disregard for the fires left in their wake. As you mentioned, they tend to be really good with language, which means they tend to be really good in meetings. They're good at thinking on their feet and able to impress with quick answers. Some people would call this executive presence. In these cases, it's more accurately described as making shit up on the fly. Yeah. They're not attempting to advance the conversation with facts. They're literally weaving a set of alternative facts to just get through the meeting. There's never any follow-up they need to do because they've already explained everything. I think it's time to introduce a couple of terms. My co-author Tom and I invented terms that basically define making shit up on the fly but with a little bit more finesse. Because, of course, if you aspire to be a veneer manager, language is a big part of it. One of the first things that we created was this thing we refer to as the CSC, which stands for Cosmic Stupidity Cloud. You've been in this situation where you're absolutely stunned and flummoxed by the decisions that are made and the direction that's being taken. And it's as if some sort of Miasma has descended on the organization and, and made them make all of the wrong choices. 
in magnificent ways. And it infects great groups of people, both the veneer management crowd and everybody else. It's like you suddenly decide, this is the best idea I've ever heard, even though it's not. It can absolutely affect an entire organization. Maybe I should say it can absolutely infect an entire organization. If you happen to be standing outside this cloud looking in, you're just shaking your head in utter puzzlement. Why would you decide to do this? It's because somewhere within that cosmic stupidity cloud, a very skilled veneer manager has made a decision to promote himself at the expense of all others. So if you dig deep enough, you'll always find somewhere in there one or sometimes more people who are, are behind it. They'll propel a company in a particular direction. Maybe you come out of the other side and everything gets better. Maybe the perception of this project or product or whatever it is that you're working on actually materializes into something that they will claim is exactly what they were thinking. Other times, it just sort of goes away. It just sort of vanishes. And because there's so much activity in an organization, the bigger the organization, the more activity, you, you tend to lose contact with all of the details. And maybe you've been overwhelmed by the next project that shows up. But expect that that will happen. If it hasn't already been your experience, it, it will eventually happen to you. If you're in a corporation, decisions are made. There's no logical explanation for why you make them. The bottom line is this is a veneer management technique of taking the absolute worst outcome and painting it as a successful outcome. And people buy into that and people will continue moving ahead. But when this happens to you and your job is on the line, it's probably a bigger deal. You do bring up an important example of how to deal with this. I think the phenomenon of people quiet quitting is, is one reaction to this cosmic stupidity cloud and veneer management, where you essentially sort of write off the organization, start doing the, the minimum for your job, accept the fact that you're going to get average raises and average bonuses. And it's probably true that that is a good uh, reaction to this crazy situation and a way of kind of protecting yourself mentally from what can only be considered an unhelpful decision cloud of nonsense. Well, you mentioned earlier signs that you're dealing with veneer managers. And I think the point you just made is something that leads us in that direction. And that is that there are really two options for you. You can either decide to pursue a course of survival. What do I have to do to stay employed in a company that's being run by a stack of veneer managers? Or you got to sign on to the program and become one yourself. Those are really the only two options. I suppose you can leave, uh, go to another company. You're going to have the same problem there eventually because this is universal. When you talk about that sort of step, the quiet quitting step, that's more of a survival strategy. I'm just going to stick my head in the sand, so to speak, try and do my job a little bit. I'm not going to get sucked into the, to the overhead. I'm not going to fight what's going on here. I'm just going to try to stay employed. That's a valid strategy. It's just a personal choice that you have to make. There's risk associated with that because the old axiom of, well, if the boss tells me to do something, I'd better do it because the boss is the boss. And this is kind of a step in the other direction where I'm going to maybe not do what the boss says or do less than what the boss says or do the minimal and just hope that I can get away with it. It's a bit of a retreat from facing the problem. The other side of that is you can actively go against them and then you could have potentially my experience where I was terminated from a company because I decided to take this on. I decided to combat these kinds of activities. It didn't end well for me with that company. It did open up opportunities I would have never had otherwise. So personal choice you have to make. Do I strategize on how to succeed 
or do I strategize on how to survive? And that's a question everyone has to ask themselves based on their own personal circumstance. It seems like a completely rational response. If your direct manager is a veneer manager, I had an experience where I did report to one of these people. And one year, I got my review with the score and the comp all figured out and filled in. But all the justification sections where you're supposed to write a thoughtful bit of detail and backup for the scores just said TBD. He literally couldn't be bothered to do an annual review for me. Just made up some scores, put it in the form. As far as I know, he never did go back and actually fill in what should have been a thoughtful response to my performance. I certainly never saw it. He got promoted. I was next in line to to take his job. And instead of promoting me, they reorganized the whole group. And then there was suddenly no ability for me to advance. And there I was just having worked for a couple of years, really hard doing good work. And I was a victim of this veneer manager doing nothing to support me. You have to understand that the veneer manager is really not concerned with you. You may be looking at the wrong outcome for this. Your strategy probably in that case should have been survival. A very similar thing happened to me, albeit in a different format, and that is that I had started working for a software development team in which I was tasked to write code for a function that did not exist. And the structure in this organization was that we had software designers who were analysts that worked with the customer to really define what the requirements were for the product. And they would write up a a design document full of the requirements, the things that I had to do. And then I would, in response to that, create a technical design document explaining the specifics of what I was going to do. I got my requirements design document and it was filled with specific sections. There was a section for screen layout and on that page it said screen layout goes here as if I'll come back and do this. And the entire document was like that. Each heading ended up with something that said, this heading item goes here. That was given to me. And I pushed back and I said, what am I supposed to do? I wasn't on that team for very long. The individual that provided that continued to move up and up and up and up in the company. And I do believe to this day is still employed there. Prime example of us being in the same position of seeing someone at a a slightly higher level than us, basically not doing their job and yet managing the dialogue, managing the connection uphill, saying the right things, sounding as though they're very competent, sounding as though they have all of the best intentions and the best plan, but nothing to back it up. In a case like both of ours, you would then need to look at the next level above them. Who were they reporting to that saw these non-activities as a good thing. And it very well may be you were reporting to a relatively skilled veneer manager who was reporting to another veneer manager. They're all busy looking ahead. They don't care about the substance or the details. It's all about this perception. And there's a strong perception of positivity when you can take your direct reports and promote them because of their exemplar skills. It could be something like that. This guy that reports to me, great talent. I'm going to move him up in the organization because look what a great job he's doing because he reports to me. (laughs) That never worked for me. How about another sign? How about a leader who is constantly creating new work for his team? Tons of work. It's always urgent. It's always complex and poorly understood. There are late nights and pre-meetings to meetings to discuss the meeting and the next meeting and then the following meeting with the CEO. I worked in a fairly large group with an SVP who did this regularly. There were these bursts of crazy demands. Everything that sound management teaches us is bad, this guy would do. I'm talking about the telephone game where he would cascade work down 
the management chain and situations where he'd ask for work to be transferred from one person to another or from one group to another in the middle of an effort to supposedly make room for new work. He would ask people to begin work before the end goal was known and also ask that work be done in parallel so that you could move faster. I literally have PTSD from the term work in parallel nowadays just because of this experience I had in this group. He made dozens of people work through many late nights working on pulling analysis and developing charts and detailed explanations. It was all part of this crazy effort to do these things that we weren't even sure what we were trying to do. I remember these situations where we would at six or seven o'clock at night, all be sitting around a large conference table. And I'm talking like 15 people trying to figure out what we're trying to do because this SVP had requested this work to be done. None of us were in the meetings. None of us were part of the discussion of what we were trying to do. It was all through this guy. I used to say that we made appendix slides that no one ever would see for presentations we were never invited to. It was crazy. And it was brilliant in a sense. He had dozens and dozens of people routinely working late in the night. His team just kept growing and growing because he never had enough people. It appeared like all of this activity was always going on. We were always overworked and tired and sort of breathless with everything that we were doing. It took a new CEO coming in before he was finally found out, fired him fairly quickly. There was no heartfelt goodbye. He was just ushered out the back door. It, it took several years to get rid of this guy. And I'm sure he left with an enormous package. And this is, again, is an example that we should remember that these people are not good at their jobs. If anything good does happen around them when they're in power, it has nothing to do with them. There's nothing good that comes from these individuals. Well, you hit on a bunch of topics there. First and foremost, it is important to remember that there are people who are just incompetent. And however they got into their roles may or may not factor into our specific discussion of veneer management. And to justify that, I will tell you that I worked for a large company, 300,000 people, multiple divisions. There were at least 10 management layers above me between the CEO and me, a massive amount of overhead. And they had a tendency to put people in these very responsible positions that had zero experience, but they had gone to the same university. One particular individual, very nice guy, very likable character who had never worked in his life, but he graduated from the right school. So he got put in as a senior VP for this thing. And he had some of the craziest phrases that we'd all mock the way he would talk, but he never really understood what we were doing. He wasn't a bad person. He had not been around long enough to be a skilled veneer manager. He was simply in over his head. And some of the things that you described I saw from this individual, and I think it was partly because he had no idea how to do anything. He didn't have any of the technical wherewithal. He didn't have any of the business experience. He didn't have any of the human management experience. He thought that the more noise, more activity, the more chaos that he would create, the more stuff would come out the other end. Not a near manager, just a bad manager. Competence is apparent. You'll know it when you see it. By the same token, you'll know it when you don't see it. So your description could just be someone like my experience, and that's somebody who's dropped into this slot that should have never been there, was put in there for all the wrong reasons. He's my cousin or is my my daughter's husband. I mean, just crazy stuff like that, where you find yourself working for people that should never be there. The other side of this is the skilled person who has worked their way up the chain through veneer management techniques. Your discussion about all of the different activities that are going on, I have an entire chapter in my book, and I've mentioned this before, devoted to what I call the myth of multitasking. I do not believe you can do it. I think that when you get into the technical realm, things that, that we try to do, you need to do one thing at a time. Now, you may only do it for an hour, or you may do it for a week, 
or you may do it for six months. It really depends on what's going on. But if you're 30 minutes on this and 15 minutes on that and 60 minutes on the next thing, none of them are going to be done well. So a lot of the chaos that you described falls into that category. And that is people deciding the more things I can get moving at once, the more stuff will get done. And again, that could be a, a veneer manager technique. By creating chaos, it's hard to find fault with me. It's all these people that are supposed to be doing the work for me that are failing. It's not me. I'm right. They're just incompetent. So it could fall into that. That defines another category that's worth mentioning, and that is noise. A good veneer manager just creates a lot of noise so that it's difficult to discern the actual transmission that you're trying to listen to. There's so much activity going on that you can't really pick apart the individual pieces. This works both directions, by the way both uphill and downhill. Noise confuses the people that are working for you so that they have a hard time saying, what are you doing? They're so busy trying to figure out what they're supposed to be doing that they're just sort of out of the picture. Going the other direction, managing up, it works the same way. The veneer manager that has generated all this activity and noise and all these multitaskings and all this chaos and confusion can say, these people just don't know what they're doing. Look, I've got this great idea. I've told them everything, but they can't seem to do anything. So that buys time, that lets you ride the escalator up a little at a time because you alone know the truth. Yeah, I think these individuals also sort of control access to the upper management. So they're the only ones talking to the CEO, for example, or the SVP, whoever is in their direct line, and they tend to name drop. So one strategy, I think, potentially to deal with this, and this has worked well for me, is they'll name drop somebody to help shut down a discussion about what direction to take because they want you to go their direction. They want you to start moving and start doing things probably before you really know what you're doing. And if I legitimately disagree with the direction and and I'm dealing with a veneer manager who is dropping a name saying, you know, Bob says we need to do it this way. Let's do it. I immediately say, okay, I'll talk to him or her. I'll go talk to Bob. It helps take the wind out of their sails because there is a high likelihood that they're making it up. And that person, Bob, hasn't actually decided anything. If you're wanting to combat the veneer manager, being able to call them and say, okay, I'll go ahead and talk to that person immediately helps to shut them down. A couple of things I got to comment on there. One is that deflection, that's what you're talking about. If I'm the VM and you report to me, everything I can deflect, you come to me with questions or complaints or whatever, and I always shunt you off somewhere else. That means I don't ever really have to do anything. I don't ever really have to take responsibility for anything because I can always say, oh, Glenn's working on it. It's always in somebody else's lap. The VM has bought time. And that's really all it's about is buy enough time by deflecting, obfuscation. The other thing that that allows the veneer manager to do is to shift blame because you're an idiot and he can point out that he's perfectly well justified in saying that because he explained everything you're supposed to do, but you can't seem to get it done. Mm -hmm. So it's your fault, not his. Language is key. We mentioned this a, a bit ago. Language is key. The language that the veneer manager uses both up and down the chain of command is critical to succeeding as a veneer manager. So the things that this your boss says to you matter. The things that your boss says to his boss also matter. It's all about the messaging. It's all about projecting the image of competence. If you know the, the lingo, that's another thing. Because it's language, if you know all the buzzwords and you use all the buzzwords, people that listen to you talk unconsciously assign a degree of competence to you because, well, he must know what he's talking about. He's talking about 
fill in the blanks with whatever words are appropriate. Also, I'll remind you again that it's very important to always distinguish behaviors as based on one of your two options, and that is survival. How do I keep my job? Or two, how do I become one of these people and ride the corporate escalator up? I'm not sure there's a middle ground because as soon as you try to land in the middle ground, you're me. You start questioning the status quo. You're looking for a new position. So I did not succeed in derailing any of the veneer management activity that I was complaining about, nor did I succeed in keeping my job. I ventured into that middle ground where there is only one outcome, and that is that you're out. I think there might be a, a way to combat this, though. As I just mentioned, the name dropping, challenging the name dropping idea is a good way to sort of take the wind out of their sails. I think there might be some other ways, but it does require that you're prepared and you're prepared to do things that they're not quite to the level of veneer manager as sort of destructive behavior, but it is about being prepared to fact check, being prepared to call them out on their lack of depth. Basically, knowing your stuff, reviewing the facts and ahead of a meeting and using, like you said, combating language with language. I think one of the strategies of a veneer manager is that they're meeting hogs because they want to control the narrative and that's part of their game, right? So they will often veer from the subject of a meeting as a way to keep control. As you mentioned, they'll look towards the next objective instead of talking about the current objective. And if you let them keep talking, you're bound to pay for it later. So bottom line is you just have to interrupt them and take back the meeting. So being able to be ready with sort of pithy comments like, is this what we're here to discuss? I thought we had a different agenda. Maybe just simply, how does all this apply? So again, this idea of being ready with pithy comments to try to take back control from the veneer manager. What do you think? Those are good points. And I have to agree with everything you said, but this does put you into a, a risky position because you are challenging this individual. So remember, if you've determined that you're working for someone who is in a position they should not be in and stays in that position through all of these shifty, I suppose we can call them underhanded techniques of always avoiding the topic at hand and yet presenting this image of competence, as soon as you start challenging, there is a certain element of risk. You've got to be willing to accept that. That if you start challenging someone that you're reporting to, there's an element of risk. There always is. This could show up on your performance review. It could show up on the assignments that you could get. It could eventually result in you showing up in human resources. I got lots of thoughts about that too, maybe for another discussion. But I, I think what you say makes sense, that if you see this kind of behavior, you can challenge it. And perhaps the key needs to be, rather than attempting it uh, from the strategy of derailing this individual, it's more like, how do I get this back on track? How do I do the job that my boss should be doing without threatening my boss? That would be a, a difficult, subtle shift in how you approach these things because you have to somehow implant the idea without making it seem like a threat to your boss's authority. What if it was less directly challenging and what you're really trying to do is just break momentum? Again, these individuals are kind of meeting hogs and they'll just start talking. So one of the things I sometimes do that actually makes room for others to start challenging is as this person is talking and droning on, there doesn't seem to be a break. I'll actually interrupt and just say, excuse me, sorry to interrupt, but can you repeat that last part? I didn't quite hear it, even though I heard it perfectly, but just as a way to get them to stop and actually back up a second and try to remember what they just said, because half the time they don't even remember exactly what they were saying, right. just as a way to break momentum and give somebody else a chance to interject with something or a correcting statement. 
I have a friend that actually executes that strategy by saying, can you say what you just said to me, but use different words so <laughs> I'll understand it? Which they won't be able to do. For the very reasons that you pointed out. But what it does do in an honest, genuine situation is it causes the person that's made this statement to think about what, what we're discussing and try and couch it in different terms. The true veneer manager, remember that the problem that you're facing is this individual probably doesn't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They probably don't know the details. They don't want to know the details. That's not their objective. The agenda is always to deflect, defer, and deny. A skilled VM is going to be able to deflect you again by simply saying, we should get back to that. Perhaps we can meet later and get into more detail. But right now, we've got to move on to the next item on that. It's unpredictable. But anything you do, anything you try to do, any positive steps that you can take are probably worth an effort. But again, you challenge this person, and you know this is the way they operate, and you challenge them at your own peril. So you have to make the determination, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this regardless of the outcome, because it's the right thing. We haven't really talked about that. It's always been either sign on to this agenda, or you just go retreat. It's a very difficult situation, and the reason that we're having this conversation is that it's something that everyone who's ever worked in any company ever has faced it at some point or where you're reporting to somebody that does not know what they're doing or is just really bad at what they're doing. And the question is, are they doing this on purpose or just because they're no good at it? I think I'm slightly more optimistic than you. I think there is hope to break some of the momentum these folks generate. What I've found is that there's more than just me in a meeting sitting there shaking my head, thinking to myself, my God, this guy is a moron. And if you give other folks a chance to step up behind you with another comment that sort of gets you headed back into the right direction, maybe that's a strategy to win back the meeting. Certainly worth a try. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about more than just winning back the meeting. I mean, you're you're talking about the strategy that you're after. Mm -hmm. So the, the tactic that you're pursuing is let's stop this nonsense right now so that I can go rally some support. The strategy is you come back at some point with other people in the same camp as you who are going to support your direction. And the hope is that you'll be able to convince the problem manager of this direction that should be taken rather than what was originally proposed, something, something like that. Certainly doable, certainly worth the effort. And it's I think it's also critical for us to, to remember that a lot of the problems that we face, you, you said the guy's a moron, that's often the case. These people are moronic in their comprehension of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Their focus is solely on supporting their position in the eyes of their overlords. The only thing I care about is presenting the image of competence. The only thing I care about is presenting the image of completeness and success, because that's all I understand is how people perceive me. I don't know anything about the details. I don't understand the technology. I don't understand the work effort. I don't know any of these people that are reporting to me in terms of are they capable or not, because how would I judge? I don't know what they do or how they do it or what their experience is. So it's a very difficult position to be in. It almost comes down to sort of a strategic mutiny where you're trying to redirect the course of the ship away from the reef because the captain doesn't even know what a reef is. There's some degree of that. Part of what we're talking about here is we kind of come at this from two different perspectives. And one is my view of veneer management and the discussion of it is really this collection of 30 plus years of exposure to it and just trying to summarize 
what it means and who all these people are and how do you deal with them and how do you survive this sort of thing. And you're looking at it from a very real world perspective. I'm I'm stuck in the middle of this. What do I do? So I think it's very important that you make these suggestions and attempt them and see how they work out. We can reconvene on this topic in the future and see. When you try these these tactics, do they work? Are you able to regain control of a project? Are you able to repoint the effort in the correct direction? Does it work or does it just come back to haunt you? I'll, I'll be curious to see. Yeah, I can say in my experience that some of these tactics do work, that you are able to wrest control, you are able to sort of rally support for a a mini mutiny and put the veneer manager in their place, or in the best cases, you can help expose their incompetence. And this makes me think, Denny, that, that we need to create an app. We need an app that someone sitting in a meeting with the veneer manager can pull up and they can have these tactics. And as you said, it's kind of a war of language. If you can have the right words to use, you know, maybe the app gives you a scenario that you're in, and then you can be given three or four different options to help re-steer the ship or to make sure that the veneer manager doesn't get their way. That might be something people could use. I actually like that idea. I think it's very clever and it would be entertaining. And it probably is something that is doable where you could define the scenario of, okay, I'm in a meeting. No one can talk. No one can insert a word edgewise. What do I do? and suggestions for how you how you go about that. What's the physical step that you take to interrupt this person? Mm-hmm. And it can be as simple as watch closely. At some point, they will have to take a breath. <laughs> so you, you've got to be ready. And here's the thing you say. I'm watching your mouth move. And as soon as you go, I say, maybe I'm missing something, but... <laughs> and that's enough to at least get your... Get your finger in the door. That, that would be fun to do. I, I kind of like that. Perhaps some of our listeners have suggestions for tactics that we can utilize here. I'm convinced that some people have an app on their phone that they can tap a few things and say, give me a phone call in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this is more of a veneer manager tactic. Give me a phone call in five minutes. So then the phone rings in the middle of the meeting. Five minutes later, they go, oh, wait, I've got to take this. It's the CEO. This. <laughs> <laughs> they walk out of the room. That stops the conversation. Absolutely. Okay, Denny, I'm going to be working on this app. I think we've covered this fairly well. We've got some good advice for folks. I think we've defined the veneer manager. There's more to be found in your book, Greenwater Strategy. I read it and parts of it multiple times. It's insightful, helpful, and comical. It covers a variety of topics, with the veneer manager being just one. If you found some of what we discussed familiar, you're going to get value and entertainment from this book. Anything else you'd like to say about the book? Perhaps nothing more about the book. If people are curious, they certainly can pick up a copy. You can find it on Amazon. I think it's important to make one final point, and that is that there are are people who are intentional veneer managers who have learned that through careful crafting of language and activities, they can not only survive in an organization, but they can flourish. And there are just other people who are no good at what they do. There's the intentional acts which fall under the category of a veneer manager. I'm doing this on purpose. And then there are just morons who pointed out. So the way you deal with these people is different by virtue of that. So step one is to determine, is this person doing this on purpose or are they really this bad? And oftentimes the solution, in spite of all of the things we've suggested, is I need to transfer to a different team. (laughs) Anyway, it's a fascinating topic to me because I know it affects every one of us. Thank you, Denny. I appreciate your perspectives as always and be on the lookout for the app. 
I will, but you've got to make it compatible with my very own <laughs> Samsung S8. Wow, S8. 